My name's Doug, one of the pastors for our church, and it is cold, but God is good. Amen? We've got warm um, air in the building. We've got some hot coffee, and we've got plenty of donuts in case you need to burn some calories along the way. And so while we're thinking about coffee and donuts, I want to pause and say a word of thanks to some of our volunteers. We have an amazing hospitality team. When most of us show up, there's already hot coffee and yummy donuts waiting for us. But the hospitality team, they show up when the building is still cold, there is no hot coffee and there are no donuts to keep them fed. And they get all of that set up for us. So hospitality team, we love you. We thank God for you. We like coming into those coffee and donuts. Um, And also Ashley Hughes, especially want to say, thank you to you. Uh, She has been leading that team since before we ever had that team, has done a great job of just making it feel like fun, family, friendly when you come in on Sunday mornings. And Ashley, this is her last Sunday with us for a little while. She's going to go to sunny Southern California for some job training, suffering for Jesus. It should be terrible. Uh, But she will be back. So Ashley, uh, hospitality team, thank you guys so much. Uh, So to the sermon, a couple weeks ago, my family was participating in a deeply spiritual Christmas tradition. This is one we've kind of developed over the last few years, and I think it's really having an impact on us. Um, We gathered around the computer screen and we watched The Elf. We watched The Elf. It is an incredible movie, especially like when he burps a lot and eats Pop-Tart-covered noodles. This movie has had such an impact on our family that our house looks like Buddy the Elf came and decorated for us. We have homemade like paper snowflakes all throughout, strings of light, bright lights throughout the rooms, and a Christmas tree that is one for the history books. It's incredible. So we love it. And in the movie, you guys may know it, but in the movie, Buddy the Elf is a human who grows up at the North Pole, but pretty soon he realizes he doesn't fit in, like he literally can't fit in the North Pole, and so he learns that he has a dad who lives in New York City, and he goes to find his dad. What follows is an adventure that is full of laughter and junior high antics and a grown man in yellow tights. Buddy the Elf, he tries at the end to save Christmas. He needs to save Santa Claus. And the strategy that he uses, you you guys may know the refrain if you've seen the movie, is the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, right? And so at the end of the movie, kind of the last scene, there's this crowd of people at uh, Central Park, New York City. Buddy has inspired all these different people. And so they start singing, Santa Claus is coming to town. And it's kind of this moment, like you, you kind of get into it and you get the goosebumps and you're about to start crying and then you're like, oh yeah, that's a grown man in yellow tights. It isn't, it isn't that emotional. But as we were watching this movie, something dawned on me and this part actually is a little bit spiritual. What dawned on me is how good the love of God is, how powerful how stable and secure the love of God is. And in particular, what really dawned on me is how the love of God is so much better than the love of Santa Claus. 
Now, those may be fighting words to some of you. You're like, wait a second. Okay, so let me explain a little bit. Actually, we're going to go to the Bible and look at the love of God this morning. My goal this morning isn't to get any of us to dislike Santa Claus, okay? He's old. He's cute. That beard is always going to be irresistible, okay? But I do have a goal this morning, and my goal this morning is that we would each know and receive the love of God. And this love of God matters. It defines who we are. Without this love of God, we are left longing and craving for the hope and the peace and the joy that we all crave. Without this love of God, we're going to be searching for all other, any other different kind of love that will leave us disappointed, lacking stability, lacking security, and lacking a true identity that can sustain us through our lives. So let's go to the Bibles and consider the love of God. We're going to look at the same passage Chuck just read to the kids, Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. And the book of Romans in the Bible is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians who were living in Rome. And so Paul knew there was this group of Christians. He wanted to go visit them one day. They were trying to get a church started, and Paul knew they needed some rock-solid, totally trustworthy truth that they could build their church on. So he pins them this letter. Then in chapter 5, what Paul's focusing on, what he's zooming in on, is all that God has done for us. Not what we're supposed to do for God, but all that God has done for us. And we'll pick it up in verses 6 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. There should be Bibles in the chair racks in front of you. Um, If you need one, that is yours to keep. Take it on home with you. Here we go, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us, the love of God. So this morning, I want to show you two things about the love of God from these three verses. You can fill in the blanks if you want to. If not, let's just track along together. The first thing I want you to see about the love of God in this passage is this. The love of God begins with bad news. The love of God begins with bad news. So here's what I mean. Did you see what these verses just called us. They called us weak, ungodly sinners. And I think for most of us, that's going to sound like bad news. Because when it comes to us being loved, we want to be loved because someone finds us lovely or someone finds us good. I think Disney nailed it when they made Beauty and the Beast. Whenever they wrote that story, my youngest daughter, her favorite princess is Belle. She loves Beauty and the Beast. And I think Disney nailed this because every woman wants to be caught up in a love story where her, her loveliness and her beauty compels a beast to turn into a brave and kind man who loves people. And every man wants to look so hairy that he's a werewolf who can stand on two legs. Not really, that's not like the point I was trying to make here. But the point I do want to make is every man, deep down, he thinks he's the stuff. Like he thinks he's the real deal, even though he knows he has a rough exterior. And he wants a woman who's going to love him through that rough exterior because she sees the goodness in his heart. 
And so every woman wants to be loved because of her inner loveliness. Every man wants to be loved because of his inner goodness. But the Bible won't go there for us. The love of God, that isn't the case. In fact, the love of God is different. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 says that we are weak, we are ungodly, and we are sinners. Let's look at each of those. We are weak. We are infirm and feeble. So our attempts to love or um, be lovely, they just don't work. Maybe in this world and with our human relationships or at work, we have some strengths that help us. Our ability to fix things or analyze things or communicate things or our ability to sell things. But in our relationship with God, we are weak and unable. That's bad news. It's like Eric reaching for the top shelf in his pantry. He just can't get there, you know? Love you, Eric. I always love you, even after those jokes. It's like me when I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old, I had major reconstructive surgery on my chest. I was under the knife for like eight hours or something. I'm sure it was terrible and life-threatening. But whenever I came off the anesthesia, I'm laying in my hospital room, and in my mind, I'm 12 years old, and I have all the energy and power in the world. And so I'm thinking, what am I doing laying in a hospital bed? Let's get up and do something. Let's go play soccer. Let's go make something happen. So I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to roll out of bed. And I turn about an inch. And the pain just like surges through my body and I am screaming in my hospital room. You see, I thought that I was strong, but in reality, I was weak. And so it is in our relationship with God. And that's bad news. The passage goes on in Romans 5 also says that we are ungodly, which means that we really don't care about God. Like a toddler, we'd rather do things our own way and pretend that we don't need any help. We have no reverence for God, no real understanding or appreciation of who he is. And I know that sounds drastic, but it is true. Even the most religious, the most church-going person can go to church every Sunday but still be playing games as a way to stay far from God. Some of you, honestly, you are skeptical of the Christian faith precisely because of these people. Because on Sunday mornings, they look and they act like saints, but then all week long, they're the worst boss you've ever had. You see, some of us, we run from God by choosing rebellion of the worst kind. But others of us, we run from God by choosing religion of the best kind. But both of us are ungodly, keeping God at bay. And that's bad news. And then, as if those first two descriptors weren't enough, Romans 5 verse 8 adds a third one in there when it says that we are sinners. God has set a mark for us, and we missed it. God gave a law, and we disobeyed. God demanded, and we couldn't deliver. We failed. We messed up. We gave ourselves over to sin. We devoted our hearts, our minds, our whole bodies to sin. From top to bottom, inside out, we are marked and marred and messed up by sin. By choice, by birth, by design, by definition, we are sinners. And that's bad news. Aren't you glad you came this Sunday, right? The love of God begins with bad news. And if you're like me, I will do anything to avoid thinking about this. I want to say, I'm a good person. I grew up in a Christian family. I went to church. I memorized the Bible verses that the Sunday school teacher told me to memorize. I volunteered. I helped. I gave. But God, here in Romans 5, he silences my silly speech and he says, Doug, you were weak and unable. 
You were ungodly and irreverent. You were a sinner and stuck. The world and the church may look at your actions and think that you are good, but I look at your heart and I see that you are a prideful sinner. You are a sinner. The love of God begins with bad news. We aren't the beauty and we aren't the beast. We aren't the damsel in distress and we aren't the hero on a white horse who comes to save her. And this is what hit me when I was watching the elf, right? In that last scene, they're singing Santa Claus is coming to town and they say, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And what dawned on me is I can't be good. If God had a list like Santa Claus and he checked it twice, all of us, you and me both, we would be on the naughty list. That's what Romans is saying. There's no bike waiting for us under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. Our favorite gift isn't there. And even worse, no ability to please God, no heart to honor God, and no power to change that. God's love begins with bad news. It isn't popular, but it is true, and I have a responsibility to share the truth of the scriptures with you. Okay, now hang with me. No one's walked out yet. This is a success. We are at a low point in the message this morning, but we're about to take a turn. For us to know and receive this love of God, we have to be here. We have to come face to face with our sin. We have to be here, but we don't have to stay here. In fact, this love of God that we're talking about, this love of God comes to us in this place of weakness and ungodliness and sinfulness. It comes to us and it brings us up out of that place because the love of God begins with bad news. But here's the second thing in your notes. It continues with good news. The love of God begins with bad news, but it continues with good news. We've seen who we are in Romans chapter five. We are weak, ungodly sinners. Now let's look at who God is. What is God's love like in Romans five? And in contrast to us, we're gonna see that God's love is strong and pure and gracious. Let's look at those. God's love is strong. He isn't dependent on us to love us. The Bible says that God is love. It's his nature. It's his person. It's who he is. He can't help but love. So he doesn't have to wait for us to learn how to love so that he can love us. It's the same if you're a parent and how you relate to your children. You don't wait for them to love you before you begin loving them because you know they can't love you. So it is with God. He loves us before we ever love him. Think about this, friends. Those moments in your life where you are just run out and burnt out and you're going, I got no love left to give. In those moments, God's love remains just as strong, viable, lively, and powerful for you and towards you. You come to him weak and helpless. He comes to you strong and helpful. God's love is strong. The second thing about God's love is that his love is pure. God, we are ungodly, but God is godly. He's reverent. He's perfect. Every other love in your life will disappoint you. Even your grandma's love for you. 
even your spouse's love for you, even that girlfriend that you've been dating for two weeks and you can't imagine an imperfection in her, every other love in your life, it is at least mixed with some impurity. Every single person that we love and are loved by, there's at least a little bit of selfishness in our hearts, but not God's love. God's love for you is pure. God's love for you is perfect. God's love for you is complete and whole. He's not deceiving you. He's not lying to you or hiding something behind your back or just manipulating you to get something out of you. God's love for you is completely pure. Third thing is that God's love is gracious. God knows that we are those sinners. He gets it. He knows we are sinners and he has grace for us. So friends, you can never come to God after you've messed up and hear him say, you did what? I can't believe you would ever do such a thing. I'm shocked. What brought you to ever do that? No, God's love is gracious to the point that every single time when we come to him and we say, I messed up. God, I did something I thought I would never do. God, I made this promise to you that I would never go there again, never do that again. And then I just went and did it. Every single time when we come to him with that, he responds, I've got grace for that. I know that. I'm not shocked and I still love you. God's love is strong, it's pure, it's gracious. And Romans 5 verse 6 says that this love of God came at the right time. Romans 5 verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so while we're still weak, while we're still ungodly, while we're still sinners, God's love shows up in the death of Christ at just the right time. So he loved us at a certain time, and he did it at that time on purpose, okay? Keep tracking with me. Why was that the right time? I think this is going to help a lot of us feel freedom in our love with Christ. So Christ dying for us when we were weak and ungodly is the right time because if he had died for us when we were strong or when we were godly, then we might think we actually did something to deserve that love, that we can measure up to his love. And if we did something to deserve his love in the first place, then we have to keep doing something to keep deserving his love now, every single day, right? If that is the case, then God's love is dependent on your earning and your performing to get him to keep on loving you. I've got to be good today so God will love me. I've got to start doing this so God will love me. I've got to stop doing this so that God will love me. Always wondering, does he still love me? Is his love still still real for me? Am I measuring up? Am I doing enough? Am I trying hard enough? It's the same thing as Santa Claus making his list and checking it twice each year to see if you've been naughty or nice. You are only as good as your last year. Or to borrow from the sports world, it's the same thing as Tony Romo and Dak Prescott for the Dallas Cowboys. Right? If you track with the NFL, you know that Dak Prescott is this rookie who stole the starting, posi- the starting quarterback position from Tony Romo while Tony Romo was injured. Dak Prescott earned that. He performed, he got in there, but now what does Dak have to do? He has to keep performing. 
He has to keep earning that position. If he starts slacking off, if he starts underperforming, Tony Romo is back in there. The headlines are already talking about, should Tony Romo start today, right? If Dak starts faltering, Tony Romo is back in there. That's how the NFL works. You've got to earn your keep. But none of us want that in our relationship with our best friend or our spouse. And we certainly don't want that in our relationship with God. We don't want that. So Christ dying for us while we were weak and ungodly sinners is the right time. It's the perfect time because it removes the possibility of us ever earning or deserving God's love for us. We couldn't earn God's love then and we can't earn God's love now. Hallelujah. God's love for you is always and forever based on him, not on you. God's love for you this year, it's based on him, not you. God's love for you when you mess up, throw that temper tantrum, make that mistake, commit that sin. His love is always based on him, not on you. City light, we don't have to measure up. The love of God is freely given to you. You didn't earn the love of God, and let me give you permission now. You don't have to earn the love of God today. You don't have to measure up today. It is freely given to you still. The strong, pure, gracious love is all yours all the time and all the way. You don't have to do one single thing to earn it or keep it, and you can't do one single thing to ever lose it because the one who died for you to get you that love in the first place, he is still alive today, keeping that love with you, near you, and for you, secure for you. You don't have to measure up all of his love, all for you, all the time. Someone say amen. Amen. You might think, okay, I hear that, and I've heard about this whole love of God thing, and God is love, but prove it to me. Is this real? Show it to me. How do I know if this is actually true? The Bible says that we can know for sure that God loves us. That God has given us a sure and steady, rock-solid proof of his love, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. This Christmas, Santa and your friends might show their love for you by giving you a gift. God shows his love for you by being the gift. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us by Not going to Walmart and picking out that thing that you really wanted. Not hopping on Amazon and getting it to you in time because he has a Prime membership. Not by getting you your favorite jewelry. Not by sending you a card. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Others will show their love for you by giving you a gift. God shows his love for you by being the gift. He paid the highest price, offering up all of himself so that you can have all of his love forever. I got a taste of this love of God a few years ago when the proverbial poop hit the fan in my marriage. And I've shared some of this story with you guys over the last few months. After um, years of me being detached and disconnected, me being aloof from my wife and her trying to talk with me about that and engage with me. Finally, one night, she sat me down on the couch and she said, Doug, because I'm a Christian and committed to the Bible, I'm not going to divorce you, but I wish I could. Not something you want to hear from your wife. 
And so I was shocked. I, I was stunned by this. And after a long time of me sitting in my silence, my wife eventually got up and went out of the room. And at that time, all that I could see was bad news. I was a weak husband, unable to love my wife. I was an ungodly husband. I wasn't showing her who God was by how I was relating to her. And I was a sinner. In fact, in that moment, the sinful posture of my heart for years and this long list of sins that I had committed against my wife and against God, it just flooded upon me. It overwhelmed me. And pretty soon I felt like I was just stuck in my sin. So I just bent over on the couch, caught my head with my hands and cried like a scared baby. I cried. I was worse than I ever wanted to admit. But in that moment, I figured, you know what? The only thing I got left to do is to tell all of this to God. I'm already at the bottom, so I might as well be honest with him. It was kind of like a pity party, but I actually meant it. I told God all this long list of sins, ways that I had hurt his daughter, ways that I had sinned against him. I was worse than I wanted to admit, but when I confessed all of this to God, his reaction was amazing. There was no lightning rod of punishment on me. There was no sour face or shaking finger. In the moment that I felt worse than I ever wanted to admit, I also felt strangely more loved than I could ever possibly hope. God held me in those moments and those days. I was weak and unable. I couldn't love my wife. I wasn't loving God well, but he kept on loving me with a love that was steady and strong. I was ungodly. I had tried to run my marriage, but I ended up ruining my marriage by pushing God away. But he didn't distance himself from me. In fact, he drew near and showed me his love, his pure love. I was a sinner to the point that I was overwhelmed by my sin like a waterfall of dirty sewage. But God in his love came to me and he washed me clean over and over again with his love. Pastor and author Tim Keller says it well. The gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. City Light, this is the love of God shown to us in the birth and the death of Jesus Christ. It starts with bad news. We're more flawed and sinful than we ever want to admit, but it continues and lasts for all of eternity with good news that we are more accepted and loved in Jesus Christ than we could ever possibly hope. So what do we do with this love of God? It is so simple, oddly simple. We just receive it. We just receive it. So can I ask you point blank this morning, have you received the love of God? I'm not asking you if you are earning this love. I'm not asking you if you're trying to be a better version of yourself. I'm asking you, have you received the love of God shown to you in Christ dying for you while you were still a weak, ungodly sinner? If you haven't received that love of God, you can do it this morning. 
Much like I did when I started to experience the love of God in my marriage, I was just honest with God about that sin in me. I was honest with him about my weakness. And then I said, God, would you be near to me? Would you come near to me? And I let his strong, pure, and gracious love wash over me. That's how you receive the love of God is you trust him to give it to you. God's one way, never giving up with you forever love, will change your life. When you taste the security and the freedom of never being able to earn his love, you will find yourself inspired to enjoy his love in every aspect of life. Every single part of your life will get changed by this love of God. So imagine City Light. What might happen when we know and we receive and we live out of this love of God? How might our city groups change? How might our serving teams change? How might this love of God change our friendships, our parenting, our marriages? Can you imagine a group of people who have come face to face with the reality of their sin, yet are overwhelmed by the reality of God's love for them in their weakness and ungodliness? They are overwhelmed by the love of God. A group of people who no longer feel the pressure to perform or show their goodness to one another, or hide their weakness from one another. Can you imagine that? I think I can imagine that because I've seen it already happening in our church, in our city groups, the way that you guys love one another, accept one another, give grace to one another. In our Sunday mornings, the way we love and welcome and enjoy one another, God is pouring out his love on us. He's making us a family who's not known for our rules or our regulations or our rituals, but known for how we love one another. And the only reason, the only way that we can love one another is that we have received the love of God for us, shown to us in the death of Jesus Christ. So City Light, may your Christmas this week and your heart for eternity receive this love of God and give it to those around you.